This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll get to those stories in a moment, but breaking details off the top of an attack on a 14-year-old girl and a warning from Vancouver police. The teen was grabbed and sexually assaulted by a stranger after hopping off a bus on Tuesday afternoon. Our Catherine Urquhart is live with more on where this happened and Catherine, the appeal from police. That's right, Chris. It was about 5 p.m. on Tuesday when that 14-year-old girl got off of a bus on Kingsway. She walked north on Miller Street and continued on through this neighborhood. It was here at Brewers Park that a man grabbed her from behind, pulled her into the bushes, and sexually assaulted her. Vancouver police are now asking for your help. Specifically, they are looking for any dash cam video that was recorded between about 2.30 and 6 p.m. on the surrounding streets of Kingsway, Victoria Drive, East 22nd, and Wellwyn Street. Our goal now is her safety and to identify those responsible and hold them accountable. We've been able to get as much information as we can and go into our databases. We're liaising with partnering agencies. At this point, there's nothing related to this one. We're asking anyone who may have any information, even if it's just the smallest little bit of detail, or you may have dash cam footage, call us. Let us decide. The suspect is being described as white in his late 20s with a medium build. He has short brown hair, brown eyes with stubble on his face. At the time, he was wearing a jacket, blue jeans and black boots. Chris? Catherine, is there any update on how the victim is doing tonight? Vancouver police tell us that she is receiving ongoing support, but no other information is being released about her condition. Chris? All right, Catherine, thanks for the update. Catherine Urquhart in Vancouver for us tonight. Now more breaking news out of the Peace River region. Reports of an earthquake shaking the area just a short time ago. The U.S. Geological Survey says the 4.2 magnitude quake shook the area at 528 this afternoon. It was located about 20 kilometers southeast of Fort St. John. It was 10 kilometers deep. Twitter is already full of people in the area saying they felt the shaking. And we've had calls into our newsroom from viewers saying their houses shook as well and objects flew off the shelves. We'll continue to follow that story for you tonight. Well, thousands of commuters found themselves stuck in gridlock this morning, likely wondering what happened to those new measures that were supposed to clear stalls and crashes more quickly from the North Shore bridges. Jordan Armstrong joins us with more on this. And Jordan, this uh, crash involved six vehicles, but it was essentially a fender bender, and yet it snarled traffic for hours in all directions. Indeed, Sophie, it was ugly. If you believe the provincial government and the highway maintenance contractor, those new measures worked as best they could today. But the biggest problem here is you've got a bridge that is over capacity, and for that, there is no quick fix. 
Highway 1 lit up like a Christmas tree, but there was nothing festive about the Thursday morning commute. For tens of thousands of people stuck in their cars, it was a nightmare. Well, I live 10 minutes from, from work, and it took me an hour and a half. The gridlock stretched across Vancouver, Burnaby, and Coquitlam. The cause? A six-vehicle pileup in the northbound left lane of the Ironworkers Bridge. You have a vehicle right at the front of the semi-truck, and they've left it there so far, waiting for a couple of tow trucks to arrive. It's really bad here. It was sitting there for 45 minutes before a truck actually even showed up to indicate that there was a collision there and get traffic out of the left and center lanes. Commuters venting on social media. Many were late for work. Others never made it. We were stuck in traffic, me and my brother. We were stuck in a truck. We couldn't go anywhere. I just said, we're going home. Turn you gave up. Yeah, we gave up, yeah. Northbound center and left lanes are blocked off. The pileup coming one month after the B.C. government hired a new maintenance contractor for the North Shore bridges, with a promise of large tow trucks always being available to clear collisions sooner. The new contract is going to be a huge, uh, a huge benefit to the North Shore. It was crazy weren't moving, stuck. Stuck in places for 20 minutes, then it would inch a little bit, and uh, it was nuts. The new contractor says the fact the six-vehicle crash was cleared in 90 minutes and before 8 a.m. is not outrageous, but remarkable. Finally, some good news. We have a tow truck. And he blames the tow truck delay on other drivers. When there is an accident, they see flashing lights uh, being uh, first responders. Tow trucks, if they can squeeze up and out of the way, squeeze over to the curbs. We're looking into what we can improve, uh, but ultimately I, I don't think we could have got there much quicker than we did today. No one was moving quickly, that's for sure. Okay, Jordan, you spoke with the new mayor of North Vancouver District. He says traffic is the number one concern for his community. Probably no surprise there. Yeah, Mike Little says there needs to be an urgent regional discussion here about improving the two North Shore bridges, perhaps bus rapid transit lanes on the ironworkers, perhaps moving some of the freight traffic off the ironworkers and onto the neighboring rail bridge. We'll see if those ideas get any traction. Sophie. All right. Thanks for that. Jordan Armstrong reporting. Now, if transit is sounding like a better option, customers will soon have a new way to pay. Starting Monday, TransLink will introduce the Compass wristband, its first wearable payment option. It will roll out in limited release so that the company can gauge interest. Similar to the Compass card, you will be charged a $6 refundable fee for the band. And while the jury is still out as to how well this will be embraced, there is yet another option customers are hoping for. Well, we do hear from our customers, they'd love to see an app that you can load and, and tap with. Um, it's something we are exploring, we're still working on it. You know, it's, it's got to be right if we're going to do it, it's got to be done correctly. We want something easy to use, glitch-free and secure for our customers. So, um, you know, we, we are aware and we are working on it as quickly as we can. Now up to Whitehorse, a community still reeling from a deadly grizzly bear attack. A vigil is underway tonight to remember Valerie Thiore and her 10-month-old daughter Adele fatally mauled earlier this week. Our Sarah McDonald is in Whitehorse covering this tragedy. And Sarah, the community is now really getting behind Valerie's partner who survived his encounter with that bear. Well, Chris, that's right. That surviving widower is now here in Whitehorse, surrounded by family and friends. His parents flying in from overseas, along with relatives of his wife and infant daughter, for that memorial service that is now underway here in Whitehorse. 
What was once an intentionally reclusive lifestyle in this remote part of the Yukon for Valerie Teo Ray and her growing family is now the focus of international interest. Um, we still all um, sh shake about that. It's like unbelievable. It's just the mechanism of what happened that has drawn extra attention, you know. But nowhere has the impact of the mauling deaths of the 37-year-old Quebec native and her infant daughter been felt more starkly than in the territory's capital, where Teo Ray worked as a teacher, honored in a private service on Thursday. The property where the pair was killed Monday sits some 400 kilometers north of Whitehorse. Investigators now back on scene, restricting access to the trap line neighboring Brian Melanson's. It's gut wrenching to put yourself or even think about that. Like that's the that's the worst nightmare for any man. He, like Taylor Ray's partner Jurman Rocheholt, is an experienced outdoorsman and licensed trapper. A lifestyle shared among some 300 Canadian families, but relatively foreign to outsiders. His life has been taken away. His his wife, his partner, the mother of his child. His child, I mean. Roche Holt, a Norwegian native, likely charged by the same bear that killed his wife and daughter as he returned from checking trap lines, shooting and killing the animal, which at some point made its way inside the family cabin. He went in the cabin and it was empty and followed the tracks and found um, his, uh, his partner first and then... The baby was gone and he was looking for the, for the baby he found after. Those who knew her say where she died is exactly where Teo Ray was in her element. They were living the dream. They were truly living the dream. A dream shared by a community of expats and outdoor enthusiasts. It's a passion and, and I cannot explain it. It's, it's stronger than me. It's, it's I have to go in the bush. Seeking a life in the elements and well aware of the risks. They have bear and we have bear everywhere. It's rare. It happens one in a million times. And, I mean, so does an airplane crash, right? Do we all quit flying? No. This case, one of those rare and tragic anomalies, leaving behind a widower and an ongoing investigation. And we are told a large swath of land on that family property has now been cordoned off by investigators. That cabin boarded up. And meanwhile, Chris, uh, crowdfunding efforts are underway for that surviving partner, Roche Holt, to assist him financially going forward. All right. Thank you, Sarah. Sarah McDonald in Whitehorse for us tonight. A global news investigation exposing the links between the drug trade, money laundering and sky-high real estate in Metro Vancouver has led authorities to one home in particular on the Lower Mainland. The man who built it, according to police sources, is the target of a transnational drug gang investigation. Global Sam Cooper gives us a glimpse into why police are so interested in his home. Many of us can't resist tours of luxury homes just to get a glimpse of how the super-rich live. But there's one compound in British Columbia getting a lot of police attention. In Chilliwack, British Columbia, a five-acre compound is of particular interest to police, sources say. The property on Chadsey Road is massive with its manicured grounds, large pond, and large car garages. But it's hard to get a look at from the road with three-meter-high cedar hedges. A man named Ron Ziang Tiger Yuan built the compound police and business sources say, but the owner is listed as a woman that he shares another BC address with. RCMP and BC Lottery Corp records say Tiger Yuan is one of the top Chinese high rollers being looked at in the investigations into casino money laundering in Richmond. Police intelligence has linked him with China's military. 
He's even seen as a war hero in China, one of his employees told Global News. Tiger Yuan doesn't live in the Chilliwack compound, but he does entertain Chinese VIP friends there, sources say. Inside, you'll find a collection of dozens of high-end cars, including Lamborghinis, Hummers, and vintage army jeeps. They're stored in garages under the mansion on mechanical lifts. In other rooms, you'll find art collections and liquor, as well as pallets stacked with weapons and ammunition, sources say. And a full shooting range is available, along with a huge gun vault. The property was to be used for BC hunting trips by Tiger Yuan and his business clients, sources said. Tiger Yuan claims his wealth comes from mining and aluminum exporting, his associates say. He also owns a gun shop in Port Coquitlam and multiple luxury properties in Metro Vancouver, land and corporate records show. According to BC Lottery documents, his associates include Paul King Jin, who is a primary target in the RCMP's ongoing probe of a transnational drug gain. And a 2015 Lottery Corp investigation document alleges it was Paul Jin that supplied Tiger Yuan and many Chinese VIPs with cash to gamble at BC's River Rock Casino. The RCMP suspected this cash was related to transnational drug trafficking, another Lottery Corp record says. Court documents and police sources say Paul Jin and several associates are suspected of drug importation, money laundering, and running illegal casinos. Some of Jin's associates were charged, but Jin hasn't been, and he has not responded to allegations. Tiger Yuan is on police radar, multiple sources have informed Global News, but he has never been charged and he hasn't yet responded to requests for comment. And Sam Cooper joins us from Ottawa with more on this story. Sam, do we know where Tiger Yuan is now? Well, we don't know where he is right now, but very recently we talked to an employee of Mr. Yuan at Mr. Yuan's gun shop in Port Coquitlam, and that employee said that Mr. Yuan spends a lot of time in mainland China, he spends a lot of time in the United States, and he does like to gamble in B.C. Now, a lot of incredible details about that property. What's the status of it now? The property documents that we researched showed that uh, the property is owned by a woman linked to Tiger Yuan. That is still the case. Uh, Tiger Yuan owns a number of properties in British Columbia, and so does that woman. But as far as any actions being taken against the property, uh, we don't see any evidence of that. Mm. So it looks like everything is status quo with that property right now. Sam, could civil forfeiture be a possibility in this case? Well, when we look at the property and we see the number of luxury cars and other high-end items stored inside, according to sources, that adds up to tens of millions of dollars. And when you combine that with uh, Mr. Yuan's alleged suspicious transactions in BC casinos, Clearly, there's something it seems to look at there, but uh, civil forfeiture is not uh, an easy action to take in British Columbia, and we have no idea whether BC's government is even considering such an action. All right, we'll see what happens uh, with this case down the road. Sam Cooper joining us from Ottawa. Sam, thank you. Thank you. Right now, though, ICBC is launching a new program aimed at new drivers as it tries to extinguish that infamous financial dumpster fire. Aaron MacArthur explains how the insurance corporation hopes to use something called telematics to improve the habits of new drivers and hopefully save some money. A thousand times a day, someone hits someone else in a car, and it keeps happening over and over. 
and over again. To stop it from happening as much, ICBC is launching a pilot project. 7,000 new drivers will have their cars connected. A simple black box installed so ICBC can track everything from braking to acceleration and level of distraction. What we're looking to do is to see how effective this technology can be at, at bringing this down with a group that is more prone to crashing than, uh, than other drivers. The boxes are called telematics. They've been around for years. Insurance companies in other provinces have been offering drivers significant discounts for installing the devices. Critics want to know why ICBC can't just roll out the technology now. Price their insurance based on their driving behavior, show them the discounts in real time, show them the feedback on their driving in real time. That's what telematics does. That's what's being done in other provinces. It's great we've got a pilot here in BC, but again, let's open this up to everyone uh, as quickly as we can. ICBC counters that private insurers are only using the devices to attract low-risk clients. We could uh, just throw this out there and hope for the best. That I don't think would be a, a very good use of our ratepayers' money. Uh, we want to make sure that when we're spending the money that we, we collect on insurance rates on something other than a claim, uh, that we're spending it wisely. The pilot project will launch next summer when a vendor can be found to supply the devices. Testing will last at least a year. Any real significant saving for the majority of drivers Still a long way off in B.C. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The coroner's inquest into the suicide of former RCMP spokesman Pierre Lemaitre wrapped up today after a week of often heartbreaking testimony. While the jury was instructed not to find faults, a number of witnesses blamed the RCMP for the tragedy. As Ted Trudecki reports, the jury handed down its recommendations late this afternoon. Among those watching the closing testimony were two former RCMP officers, Janet Merlo on the left, who last year won a $100 million class action lawsuit against the RCMP for daily harassment, and Alice Fox on the right, who is currently attempting a possible $1 billion class action suit over alleged bullying. They wanted to offer their support to Pierre Lemaitre's widow. Despite the lawsuits, the jury heard that systemic harassment is still alive and well in the RCMP. They're tainted by the culture. You can't help but be tainted by the culture. If you weren't complicit in the abuse, you certainly observed and did nothing about it. The jury heard from various colleagues of Lemaitre that he was a sensitive soul who would work at soup kitchens and deliver personal clothing to the homeless in his spare time. But then a series of tragic events led him to develop a post-traumatic stress disorder almost a decade before the YVR incident. The uh, coroner's uh, inquest, that poor sergeant was told to not tell the truth in order to protect the RCMP. This organization unfortunately, has no morals or ethics. Yesterday, Chief Superintendent Dennis Boucher wept as he read email exchanges between Lemaitre and himself in the weeks before the suicide, but he denied overseeing a workplace in Langley that was toxic. Lemaitre's widow had testified that in Langley, her husband had overheard himself being described as redundant after the YVR incident. So the jury's recommendations go like this. The RCMP should make mental health assessments as part of its three-year mandatory physical assessment. And they should offer a variety of learning methods for mental health, not just a website. It needs to evaluate the existing mental health strategy. The inquest heard the RCMP couldn't say how many members were actually using the service. And they want new funding to help provide mental health training to family members because it's the family that sees mental health issues first, if members know what to look for. Ted Chernecki, Global News.
A bizarre story out of Ontario tonight where a police officer is in hospital after apparently being shot by a fellow cop. Ontario's police watchdog will only say it's, in, it's investigating an altercation between two officers in the community of Pelham. One officer sustained a gunshot wound and was rushed to hospital in critical condition. Ontario Special Investigations Unit, similar to BC's Independent Investigations Office, has taken over the case. As world leaders gather in Buenos Aires for the G20 summit, Canada has announced targeted sanctions against 17 Saudi Arabians. The sanctions hit Saudis who Canada believes are involved in the killing of journalist Jamal Khashoggi in the Saudi embassy in Turkey. They freeze any assets the Saudis may have in Canada and bar them from entering the country. Foreign Affairs Minister Christia Freeland says Canada is also reviewing all arms sales to the Middle East Kingdom and will not issue any new export permits until the review is complete. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Crews rescue a man from the Los Angeles River after he was caught by the raging waters of a flash flood. Several parts of Southern California burned by the Holy Fire are under a flood warning and some homeowners are under mandatory evacuation orders. After weeks of dry conditions, residents are being urged to prepare for potential mudslides and power outages. Well, the man who once vowed he would take a bullet for Donald Trump is now the latest close confidant to cause the president potential legal problems. Former Trump lawyer Michael Cohen pleading guilty to lying to Congress a clear sign that he's further cooperating with special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia investigation. Today, Michael Cohen, President Trump's former attorney and longtime fixer, pleading guilty in federal court to lying to Congress, something Cohen admits he did out of loyalty to his boss. He's a weak person, and what he's trying to do is get a reduced sentence. So he's lying about a project that everybody knew about. That project, a now scrapped deal to build a Trump Tower in Russia. According to the plea agreement with special counsel Robert Mueller's team, Cohen lied to Congress about the timing of those discussions with Russia, telling the Senate Intelligence Committee last year talks on the project ended in January 2016, when in reality, they went into the summer and well into the 2016 campaign. The top Democrat on the Senate Intelligence Committee, Mark Warner, says today's plea shows a pattern. Folks affiliated with Trump, dealing with the Russians, then lying about it to the FBI or, or to Senate and House committees. From the president's defenders. Um, I've yet to see anybody indicted for actually including with the Russians. It comes as President Trump heads to Argentina for the G20 summit and a planned meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin. But on board Air Force One, President Trump canceled that meeting on Twitter, citing Russian aggression toward Ukraine. And in that tweet, President Trump is talking about Russians capturing Ukrainian ships and their sailors earlier this week. Now, the president said that he would be open to meeting with Putin once that situation is resolved. But many are questioning the timing of this cancellation, considering it comes shortly after Cohen appeared in court. Blaine Alexander, NBC News, Washington. 
The Chinese government has shut down the work of a doctor who claimed to have made the world's first gene-edited babies. The doctor made international headlines earlier this week when he claimed to have altered the DNA of twin girls to make them resistant to the AIDS virus. And yesterday, he claimed that another woman is pregnant as a result of his work. Medical ethics watchdogs condemned it as a step toward designer babies. The Chinese government has shut down the program calling the team's actions shocking and unacceptable. In Health Matters tonight, a North Vancouver woman is hoping her story will convince more people to register as organ and stem cell donors. We met the former RCMP Reserve Constable three years ago as she made a public plea for a stem cell donor. As Linda Ellsworth reports, she has just met the person who saved her life. So this was in on November 11, 2015, um, and... I just felt horrible, and I thought I was going to faint. Nancy Taylor, an auxiliary North Vancouver RCMP officer, persevered that day because she had the honour of laying a remembrance wreath. Soon after, she was diagnosed with leukaemia. It was terrifying, yeah, because I, I wanted to be there for my kids. I was only 51, so I wasn't ready to go yet. What Nancy needed was a stem cell transplant, but her mixed ethnic background made finding a match difficult. The donor bank only has, it has about 70% Caucasian and only 30% ethnic. We were all very upset, worried, concerned. Um, we didn't want to lose our friend. And so her co-worker Trina organized a stem cell drive. Hundreds rallied, swabbing their cheeks for DNA and joining the Canadian Blood Services stem cell registry. I was really humbled. I was just, I couldn't believe... I had so much support and it made me feel stronger, like it just helped me to get through this. When no match was found in Canada, the search went international and lo and behold... We got the phone call and they said they found a donor and my daughter and I just cried because we were so excited. I just, I just couldn't believe it. The match, near perfect. The stem cell transfusion, textbook. A year and a half later, just last month, Nancy was finally well enough to travel to Boston with her daughter to meet her donor. I told him I, I consider them my new extended family and he said they felt exactly the same way. Nancy hopes her story will encourage others, especially those with mixed ethnic backgrounds, to register at blood.ca. Because someone did, she got a chance to lay this year's remembrance wreath, this time in good health. So it was a full circle for me. And how did you feel this time? I felt great. <laughs> it was the best I felt in a long, long time. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. That five-year-old boy in Chechnya we told you about a couple of weeks ago finally has his world record. Rakim Kuriev, known as the Chechen Schwarzenegger, was denied a push-up record when it was determined he was watching cartoons the first time he did it, which is apparently against the rules. But this time he did 3,202 push-ups in two hours and 30 minutes with the people from Guinness World Records watching. Just Incredible. A, just a little bit weird. It is a little weird. <laughs> but hey, he can out-push up us. He anyway. sure could. A New York police officer is taking some ribbing from his fellow officers for his heroic rescue. Any propane tanks in there? He rushed into a burning shed to save a life. And now he's the butt of good-natured jokes. We'll tell you why after Come the in, forecast. Buddy.
First, though, Christy is not that far away, although she is in a winter wonderland right now, talking about the variety Tree of Hearts and a nice um, a boost to the season, I guess, Christy. This is how people can do a lot of good. That's right. For variety, the children's charity, Chris. So I'm just in the lobby here, and this is where we have the Tree of Hearts, the Variety Tree of Hearts. It's a Christmas campaign for variety where people can donate money on the website. You just have to go to variety.bc.ca slash T-O-H for Tree of Hearts. And you get to have your name put on one of these lovely little ornaments here. This one from Darcy uh, and Marion in Fort St. John. They say, peace and love always. And this will be in the global uh, uh, lobby here right through the holiday season. And it's a great way, yes, to kick off your holiday season. Let's talk about weather. We've got a nice little guy here, Ben, that we want to introduce you to. He's only four years old and so cute. But it was beautiful earlier. Earlier in the day, quickly that changed. Nice lions in the sun. Thanks to Kelly for that shot. And look at the morning in Pitt Meadows. But boy, quickly the cloud pushed on shore. And we are back into a chance of showers overnight and through much of the day tomorrow. But this is the last wave of moisture we'll be contending with for a while. Those of you in the interior, though, I am expecting snow, especially at higher elevations. But that is going to drop the freezing level to uh, the valley bottom overnight. So potential of snow even in areas like Kelowna. But there's your highway forecast. Uh, things warm up. The snow level climbs during the day, so showers, but again, tomorrow night in through the Columbia and the Kootenai region, we're talking about the possibility of wet flurries in your region. But there's your Saturday, and boy, wait till you see this long-range forecast, everyone. You are going to love it. So a little unsettled just for the next 24 hours. Light snow up and through the BC Peace River area, and as I mentioned, flurries overnight, changing to showers during the day across these regions here. For the south coast, we do have that chance of showers through the day and then we will see things ease off. Look at our Saturday, Sunday, Monday, right through Wednesday, sensational conditions, but it is going to be cold. So perfect timing. If you donate $169, you get these lovely little mittens. Now, this is little Ben. He's four years old, and his mom, Sandra, thanks for much for joining us. Uh, Sandra, can you tell us how Variety has helped out Ben in the last few years? Absolutely. Um, they say it takes a village to raise a child. When you have a special needs child, it kind of takes more villages than one and extra experts. So what Variety has done is provided bridges for us to access that. So he's been able to have occupational therapy um, and speech therapy as well. He also got orthotics to help him walk. It's been absolutely fantastic. So he has about a couple hundred words that he can do with sign language. Can he do any actual words? He does. He says, yeah, and mom and dada, which are the important ones. Yeah, absolutely. Good job. Now, do you want to uh, turn to the audience and say, thank you. Thank you to everyone who helps out. Yeah, he did it. He did it behind mom's shoulder. Thank you guys for being here. And uh, if you can get onto the website and help out, that would be uh, uh, greatly appreciated. And you get these mittens for 169. Thanks so much, Sandra and Ben. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Say bye. Very sweet. Thanks a lot, Christy. And thank you, Ben. Thank you. A New York police officer has been nominated for a life-saving award, which he can hopefully collect after enduring some good-natured ribbing from his fellow officers. Any propane tanks in there? The officer's body camera shows him rushing into a burning shed to make sure no one is inside. He moves some propane tanks and finds a chicken. After a short chase, he does manage to grab the bird and save it from the barbecue. I got one. I got your chicken. The officer's colleagues have nominated him for a life-saving award, noting that the rules don't specifically exclude poultry. 
from being the beneficiary of an officer's bravery. Vegas has come to us. Yes. <laughs> That's true. It has come to us. Mm -hmm. For one night only. Uh, yes, the Canucks are home to Vegas, and the nights are a little more golden than they were at the start of the year. Kind of the opposite of the Canucks, who've gone the other way after a great start. In fact, Vancouver's only win in its last 10 games was the one against the Kings on Saturday, which Troy Stetcher did not play in. He was replaced by Alex Biega in the lineup, and nothing against Biega. Stetcher's not happy he didn't get to play, and he wants to make sure he doesn't get left off the roster again. You get pissed off, you come back and work harder, so I don't want to say I'm happy with my game, but um, I didn't think I was playing poorly. I, could, I think just trying to be a smart hockey player and making sure that I'm not you know, penalizing our team by making costly mistakes. So Stutch was just the guy that drew out that night, and it's not surprising that he went back in and played well. Was, I mean, we've got eight defensemen, and... I don't think I can sit there and say that all eight are guys that can never come out of the lineup. I know we can all play. We could have had that guy. We've done it before. Mm -hmm. When looking back at most NHL drafts, but here's a painful one. 2013, the Canucks take Hunter Shinkarek, 24th overall. Two picks later, Anaheim grabs defenseman Shea Theodore, who grew up in the lower mainland and would have been the Canucks' best offensive defenseman if he was here right now. Well, he is here, but he's a Vegas Golden Knight. And they love him. So much so that they gave him a seven-year, $36 million deal this summer. But the money and the stature has not changed Shea at all. When people asked Shea Theodore what he wanted to be when he grew up, he always had the same answer. He wanted to be an NHL player. He even backed it up by wearing NHL ties. I think, I think like any kid, you know, playing minor hockey growing up in, in Canada, you know, I feel like everyone says they're going to play in the NHL, and, um, you know, that was, that was definitely, definitely a goal of mine. Well, everybody might have that goal, but few actually reach it. Truth be told, though, Shea probably dreamt of being a Canuck when he was a kid. Growing up, you know, I was more of a Canucks fan. Um, you know, I came to, you know, one or two games a year, and I think, uh, you know, Naslin was probably my favorite player. He was a force as a kid, as you can see here. A standout junior in Seattle, played on a star-studded gold medal Canadian junior team, but he was regrettably passed over by the Canucks and drafted by Anaheim in 2013 before being traded to Vegas last year. You know, two summers ago getting traded, um, you know, it was kind of, a, kind of a shock to me, but, you know, I couldn't be happier with how things worked out with this group, with this group of guys, and, um, you know, I, I'm very happy. Well, we just signed him long-term, so we think he's going to be a real good player. If we, uh, as coaching staff, we think he's going to be a real elite offensive defenseman that can carry the puck, and, and he's getting better every year playing defensively, so we think he's going to be a great player. Here's Theodore looking to win it. Scores! But no matter how good he gets or how big his contract is, Shea is not about to forget the role his family has played in his career, especially his father, Cam. Yeah, um, obviously, you know, both my parents, you know, mean everything to my career, but I think there's a lot of things that my dad did behind the scenes that, you know, really helped me get here. Um, you know, he, he's worked at a sawmill for I don't know how many years, you know, it's not an easy job. And not just his parents, his nanny, Betty, was also a big part of his development as a child, and she is also not forgotten by him. Yeah, yeah she was, you know, there with me every day, and, um, you know, she definitely... 
definitely helped help raise me and raise who I am, and um, definitely uh, a lot of credit goes to her for sure. I just think you know I, I wouldn't be here, be here without a lot of people, um, and you know it's yeah, I think it's important for me to give back, um, you know especially my family, and um, you know I, I feel like that that means a lot to me. Raptors coach Nick Nurse, his tribute to the late Craig Sager, who loved to wear the outlandish jackets, lost his battle with cancer, one of the great NBA sideline reporters of all time, perhaps the greatest. Kawhi Leonard, three-pointer. Could this be an NBA Finals preview? Warriors, Raptors, Kyle Lowry for three. And the Raptors got it going on in the third, 77-62 over Golden State, who is missing Steph Curry and Draymond Green. I have to add that in. Um, Drew Brees, Saints. Dak Prescott, Cowboys. Second and 12 now. Fake handoff, Ezekiel Elliott. Now throw it to him. Watch this block right there. Mm. That's a big league block. 13-0 late in the second. Dallas over the Saints. There you go. Well done, Squire. You're welcome. Thank oh, you. thank you. Then you're welcome. Wait, I shouldn't even have said you're welcome. Just thank you. Thank you. Okay. That, that's the You're block. welcome. Okay. Oh. I get it now. Okay. Here's your snow report for today. Whistler Blackcomb has a base of 64 grouse and cypress not yet open, but Sasquatch will open on December 15th. Revelstoke and Fernie opening in the next couple of days. Manny Park on December 8th and Whitewater on December 7th. Big White, Silver Star and Sun Peaks all open. A few light centimeters of fresh snow. A good base in Silver Star at 102. Big White and Sun Peaks at 88. Kicking Horse, Mount Washington both open on December 7th and Power Powder King had a nice five centimeters of fresh snow with a good base of 100. Coming up on ET Canada, Victoria's Secret Angels and Christmas Zombies. Plus, it's Mariah Carey's new twist on a Christmas classic. That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. All right, thank you very much. Well, that river otter that dined out on Koi at Vancouver's Dr. Sun Yat-sen Garden appears to have vanished, but the garden is taking no chances. There is new security in place. Well, the garden has taken a big hit to its koi population. But Jill Bennett reports there is a silver lining. This sign is no longer necessary. The koi all moved to temporary housing. And the otter, he hasn't been seen in days. There's still uh, no sign of the otter. Uh, uh, we feel that Elvis has left the building. But people are still flocking to the Dr. Sun Yet Sen Garden with the hope of seeing the ravenous river otter. I haven't seen anything yet, so I'm hoping for it. I just kind of want to see it, and I'm definitely like team otter. The fish are gone, and they're still searching for the otter. I think my flute attracted them. Really? Yeah, yeah. What actually attracted the otter was likely the abundance of fresh fish. The otter first spotted November 17th, happily munching on the prize koi in the garden pond. Attempts to capture the intruder, unsuccessful. Instead, staff netted the koi and moved them to the Vancouver Aquarium. But not before the otter feasted on 11 of the 14 resident adult fish, including a 50-year-old koi known as Madonna. Uh, we, have, we didn't find Madonna, so more than likely Madonna is no longer with us. A sad day for staff and fans of the fish, but there is a silver lining. The ongoing battle between Team Otter and Team Koi has brought international attention to the garden. It, it, it's not a bad thing. The, the attention and the various support that we got from the community is, is a sign that the, the garden is well loved. What remains a mystery, though, is how the otter, believed to have trekked over from False Creek, got in. Walled garden, 20-foot walls, limited access, how the otter figured this place out, we're still not sure. 
Not taking any chances, reinforcements have now been added to the gates. The pond will be replenished at some point, but the large metal plates send a clear message. While the koi are welcome back, the otter is not. Jill Bennett, Global News. Find a way. He'll find a way. He might find a way. Nature does find a way, Nature as Jeff finds, Goldblum yes, said. Yes, that's true. Jurassic Park. That's, that's the order. It was his personal sushi restaurant for a while. <laughs> that's the, right. The key to the koi. All right, let's go to the lobby once again and check in with Christy Gordon. She's got the mitts on. That's right. I'm preparing for the cold but sunny weather that we're going to see over the weekend. So really just one unsettled day and you need to donate variety.bc.ca slash T-O-H, Tree of Hearts. And for $169, you get these gorgeous mittens and you help out a ton of kids around BC and you prepare for the cold weather that we're going to see you guys. <laughs> Those things could come in handy for the Santa Claus parade on Sunday, it seems ah, like. Point. Right. They're right. very cozy. We tried them on. They're very uh We got a plan. Soft. Are they nice? Soft? They're soft, yeah. Warm. Thanks, Christy. Thanks You're everybody welcome. who donates to the Tree of Hearts and for watching tonight. Have a good evening, all.